Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learn with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. I want to start with a programming note. We're going to experiment this month with a different format. If you have been listening regularly over the past year, you know that our usual format is to feature three or four nonprofits in a single episode centered around one topic, with the occasional one-on-one interview thrown in. Well, this month I'm going to run an experiment. Same idea of a single topic, but instead of all of them in one episode, I'm going to share three standalone episodes on the same topic. So watch for three episodes in your feed this month if you are subscribed, and I hope you are. Uh, I would love to have your feedback on this or anything uh, at any time. And what is that topic we're going to cover here in August? Well, we're going to talk about the spread of the idea of liberty on college campuses. Now, I'll admit, I have some hesitation here. I get really frustrated and riled up when I hear about the worst of what happens on college campuses these days. You surely know what I'm talking about. The cancel culture, the woke elements that shut down free speech, terrorize conservative professors, make liberty-minded or even just liberty-curious students just choose silence instead of engagement. That is not what college is all about. So what is to be done? Well, this month we're going to focus on groups doing the hard work to engage at the college level. And today, the first of those groups we're going to hear from is Students for Liberty. Since its founding in 2008, Students for Liberty has been among the fastest-growing pro-liberty groups out there. As you'll hear, its model is built not on chapters on campuses, but rather around creating a broad network of individuals emboldened to learn more about and speak up about liberty. Students for Liberty, or SFL as it's commonly abbreviated, works with students all over the United States, but also has a global reach. Dr. Wolf von Lair has led the organization as CEO since 2016, uh, Wolf, glad you're here. Got some questions, so let's jump in. What do you think it is that really makes Students for Liberty unique? Help our listeners really understand its place among all the different groups that are working on campus. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Peter. So I would name three things that make us unique uh, compared to other organizations. And we work with a lot of the other organizations as well, So, but we do have a specific niche I would say that the first thing is that we have a heavy focus on empowerment of the students. We are investing in the students to become trained advocates for the ideas of liberty. They are volunteers and they have to dedicate at least four hours every single week to spread the ideas on campus. But it's not like my my staff or me telling them what to do. It's mostly about them driving these events and protests and whatever else they want to do on campus. Maybe they just want to write on on blog posts or produce YouTube videos. There's no silver bullet of achieving liberty. And so therefore we want students to have really free range of different activities. So what does that mean to give you a sense for for the listeners here? Last year, our students have organized in a single school year, 1,900 events with over 215,000 people attending those events. And that's mostly in person, but some activities also online. But that's driven almost entirely by the students. So bottom up, very much 
like in, this, in the spirit of federalism, if you will, um, that is one thing that makes it different. Then, of course, we are international. I think your audience might have picked up on that I don't have a Texan accent. Uh, my my accent is is from Germany, and I'm a product of the organization myself. So we have operations in uh, 112 countries, I think, right now. We have active volunteers that are working on pro-liberty pro activities. So that makes us very different, even though we are heavily focused on the United States since that's where we came from. Two-thirds of our budget is directed in the U.S., and that won't change. Um, and then the third reason I would say how we're different is we are also heavily focusing on campus on civil discourse and persuasion and all of our students are being trained in those things because campus is just a reflection of the broader society and on congress and people right now are yelling one another in congress and they're yelling at one another on campus and i think we need to overcome that as a society if you ever want to go into a direction more of liberty and, and justice and the principles that i know the donors at donors trust also care about and i think we can only get there not through yelling, but by having civil discourse and debating what are the best ideas. Now, talk to me about these local coordinators. I mean, people think about campus groups, student groups. They think about what's going on on campus. And as I understand it, these local coordinators are really the ones doing the on-campus work. Is that right? What is their role? Absolutely. So local coordinators is just our name for, for volunteers. That's somebody that we have trained. So they have to apply to our programs. It's a written application, which is fairly lengthy. They have to articulate um, what their motivation is to, to work for us or volunteer for us and what thinkers they endorse and so forth. And then there is also like an interview that we do with them as well. And then we score them and only uh, one third of the people that apply to our programs make it into the volunteer program. So we're very selective in whom we're letting in. Now, once that's done, they get the training and then they can officially call themselves local coordinators. They get business cards, they get an email address, and then they can become active for us. And the reason why we're not focusing necessarily on chapters uh, solely is because you could, for instance, have a student that is interested in the intersection of art and liberty. So, for instance, we had recently an event where somebody organized an event at NYU, New York University, um, where they used music and also paintings to express um, concepts regarding free speech. And that's, that's very cool and that's very unique. And we would never have come up then by ourselves, but that's something that, that he wanted to focus on. And another student that we had, his name is Dylan Dean. He uh, was protesting for free speech on his campus. He got thrown off campus at some point. Then subsequently, uh, he wrote um, for the First Amendment in the campus newspaper and other newspapers and then eventually ended up even giving testimony in Montana on the state and Senate level. And then subsequently, uh, so-called like free speech zones were abandoned in, in the state and across several campuses and that was because of his work and we just don't want to like pigeonhole them in only like one specific um, activity therefore uh, we just train them and then sometimes students rise up to ranks and so we have sometimes volunteers they are called like senior coordinators who oversee 50 100 150 of other volunteers they're effectively running small medium-sized enterprises and all those volunteer activities and learning a lot of leadership skills and that's the main point I've already mentioned thousands of activities, which is great, right? Education is taking place. People are meeting. People are talking. Great. Now, but for us, these numbers are just a proxy for the efficacy of the students and their learning. They're growing in confidence, in skill building and character. And those skills will stay with them for the longest time so that they make not only a difference on campuses now, but also in society in the future. And so really, I've never really thought about it this way before in all our conversations, but it sounds to me Students for Liberty really prioritizes the growth of the individual over trying to build a community. Not that community is not important, 
but that your target, you, you measure success by the individuals that come out more successful. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say that that's what we are measuring mostly, but the community is an integral part of this because if you're pro-liberty on campus these days, you're very lonely. And that's the case, unfortunately, on the coast. That's the case often in, in Michigan, and that's the case if you're a student in Venezuela. And so that plight is a universal one. And so community is an important part so that people can find like their safe haven and where they can talk about things and say like, hey, maybe we should not have like as many taxes in a smaller government without getting like weird looks from their professor or their peers. So this community aspect is very important, but we do focus on the individuals and want to build them up because the long run theory of social change that we have is that we want to have good pro-liberty advocates in all aspects of society, in politics, in philanthropy, in uh, business, in academia, because that's what it takes for us if we want to set the United States and the world on a better path. All right, so you mentioned the world. You talked about the international reach earlier. Uh, to me, it's always been one of the more unique and interesting aspects of SFL that you incorporate that international piece so seamlessly into your overall vision. Um, I know sometimes I don't think people quite understand the international component, particularly donors and people in the U.S. So give us the answer why when the u.s is a very target rich environment uh right uh, with with so much to be done here why does sfl put so many resources into the international programs so as i've briefly mentioned like two-thirds of our budget is focused on the united states and even though i have a strange name and a strange accent that won't change um that has been consistent over the last six seven eight nine ten years um, we are around for 13 years, by the way, for, for the audience. So we, we, we are a mature organization. We have 71 full-time staff members and operate in all of these different countries, um, which is, of course, interesting. But the reason why we're doing that is liberty is needed everywhere, um, point one. Point two is that the international stories often also function as a very important example and tale for the students in the United States. I'm pretty sure that most of the audience here listening to us, they remember the fall of the Berlin Wall. They remember the, the Cold War. If you mention these things and you mention socialism with all of that depth of understanding what that meant, right, to like a millennial right now or Gen Z, right, that's what we're dealing with, they have, they have no idea. They don't know what that means. They think it's, it just sounds like uh, Bernie Sanders stuff and like free healthcare. Yeah, that's great. It doesn't mean like that you have barriers and people being shot when they want to cross borders. They, they, they have no sense of this. So, but you really see that liberty gets a different quality if you have like an American student coming from, let's say, the Midwest or from the South, talking to someone, same peers, having the same appreciation for the same thinkers like Hayek and Rothbard or Mises and Hayek and all of these folks. Um, all of that they have in common and then they realize, hey, this individual doesn't have liberty. They don't even have like access to medicine or sometimes toilet paper. And then like uh, like a light bulb goes up in their head and they realize that liberty is so much more than what they understood. That's on a theoretical level. It becomes like personal to them. And we have these stories. And those stories are warning signals for this uh, present generation here in the United States because even though there's many things to complain about and if you read the, the journal or anything, like you, you, you go nuts. But if you realize like how bad it is, in countries where really liberty is completely missing, as in Belarus, Venezuela, Congo, and you meet people like that, liberty gets a different uh, quality to you. So it is a strategic thing. It's a demand response because we didn't want to become originally an international organization, but more and more people joined. And uh, 
there is now like a worldwide movement for liberty that that uh, shares these principles. Really interesting to think of it as a juxtaposition against our own storytelling and narratives that we have in the U.S. That, that's great. Now, you also have a couple of programs that really allow students to explore the ideas of liberty on their own. You have your SFL Academy Learn Liberty video series, which you got from the Institute for Humane Studies several years ago. How do those support the mission? So, yeah, we're very grateful for the Institute for Humane Studies to have given us this program probably like, what, four years ago. Um, since then, we've been growing it. Uh, for people who don't know it, go to YouTube, go to Learn Liberty, just type it in there. We have around 700 videos, 55 million views, 280,000 subscribers, and so growing. Um, it's mostly for the Gen Z audience, so 18 to 24-year-olds, but you will find something for, for everyone. And the strategic goal behind this program, as well as our massive open online course, a MOOC, the SFL Academy, or we call it now Learn Liberty Academy, is more of a funnel. It's great to educate people, right? And we're doing this with our events and so forth. However, it's more of a secondary effect. The, the main goal with that is to get people interested in these ideas and then tell them about more of the other programs that we have and then try to push them down the funnel so that they can become like local coordinators and our volunteers at the end of the day. And so we have dashboards right now where I can see that everything, every single week we're probably getting between 100 and 200 applications. And those are 95% from the United States to our volunteer programs due to Learn Liberty. So it has become like a funnel program for us. And that's, that's, the, that's the main goal for it. Well, Wolf, I think you guys continue to grow. You're doing a lot. You have your uh, Liberty Con event coming up in October in Miami, which will always be great. It's, it's a nice place to bring all those international components together with the U.S. components, really let them shine. So just continue to wish the best of luck to, to you and Students for Liberty. Thanks, Wolf. Thank you so much for having me. Wolf has so much energy, as does the rest of his team. It has been great to watch Students for Liberty grow over the years. You know, I was really struck by what Wolf said about the value of the international stories as a way to hold a mirror to the U.S. students. Truly, when you think of the struggles for freedom, real, basic freedom that are taking place all over the world, it makes some of the fights that we have here seem kind of silly. It also makes it clear how precious the freedoms we have really are. Well, I know you have freedom to listen to lots of podcasts, and maybe you do, so I appreciate you making the choice to include Giving Ventures in that rotation. We will be back next week with our second group in the series on Inspiring Liberty on Campus. Tune back in or subscribe so you won't miss it, and uh, we'll talk more soon. Thank you.